Hello, Tucson, and welcome to Power, Passion, and Coffee. I am your host, Jermaine. I'm the founder of the Social Entrepreneur Circle, which is a network that connects those working for social good with professionals who can help their organizations grow. If you're interested in connecting with a network of peers, uh, just check us out on Facebook at uh, the Social entrepreneur circle or the social e-circle check us out on instagram at the social e-circle uh today in our episode we have a special guest uh, debbie chest she's the executive director of the dunbar pavilion in tucson arizona and we're going to learn about um the dunbar we're going to learn about uh black history in tucson and we're going to learn a bit about debbie herself so thanks so much for joining us and i hope you enjoy this episode that's that's kind of the the focus and and that the dunbar be a place for exchange of thought exchange of ideas kind of a um a, a hub for intellectual um conversation about ways in which we create a community that not just reflects the totality of um, who and what is here, but also creates opportunity to be engaged in that community. I do want to talk more about that. Um, but first, how can the community, if they want to get involved, how can they contact you? How can they contact the Dunbar uh, the Pavilion? They can contact me through my email. And do not laugh at my email. It's so old school. Okay. I can't it is. That. <laughs> right. It's dchessmaybe at hotmail. <laughs> See, you laughed. <laughs> Dot com. Okay. Um, I'll get a, a Dunbar email here soon, but it's dchessmaybe at hotmail.com. They can call um, 847-312-9982. Right now, we're in this period of um, really trying to, really getting a strategic plan together. So folks can call and become engaged, but give us an opportunity to um, um, really be intentional about what, how we are working in community and be intentional about how we're bringing people in. So right now there are not specific opportunities for volunteer. Um, but what we would want you to do is go to the website and look at some of the, the activities that are happening here. Buy the t-shirt. Um, financial support is always, always, always welcome. Um, we have so many capital projects that need to be done. We need to fix our sidewalk we need to redesign our landscaping and and um, make this a, a building that is welcoming that is that is relevant to the 21st century that we have amenities that um, make people want to host their events here want to um, hang out here they find it comfortable they find it they find artwork on the walls that are reflective of the black community by black local artists of color um, and that's really what the money that comes into the Dunbar will feed. So right now, people can be involved by giving, by giving money. Um, like I said, as we develop our strategic plan, there'll be opportunities for engagement in volunteer ways. and all that. But right now, our most immediate need, and, and if people want to be involved, write a check, um, buy our T-shirts. Um, mm -hmm. We do have a community garden um that that if people are interested in having a plot out there being involved in that that that's another way and they can reach uh, anton russell 
Um, he's at the farm, our farmer at Dunbar.org. Uh, they can email him. But right now it's about money. <laughs> right on. Okay, so um, oh, that's fine. It, okay. uh, the background's going to be um, too bad. So um, if someone wants to um, get involved, what are some of the um, more specific ways they can do um, as far as uh, utilizing the space, um, working out of the space? Uh, right. Rental of the space. Um, we really encourage folks, especially African-American organizations that are doing, um, if you're having a meeting, if you're having a convention, if you're having a workshop, if you um, are just bringing folks together, think of the Dunbar first um, as the place to host that event. You know, our, our, the price to do that is relatively the lowest in the city to do that. And you're recycling the black dollar. You know, um, this is the last manifestation of African-American presence in this community, the Dunbar. And if we don't save it, if we don't invest in its existence let alone what happens in those four when i say four walls i mean the entirety of the space there's more than four walls for sure it's fifty five thousand square feet more than four walls um but what what happens here will happen or the 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 fact that this is still standing is predicated in our investment in it and our investment is doing our our programming here doing our 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 work out of here. Um, we're often critiqued about who is in the space, um, but you have to be in the space, right? Mm -hmm. To When I say you, I mean black folks have to be in the space. It's one thing to talk about who's there, but if you're not present and you're not investing in it and you're not, it, 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 it takes resources. Mm -hmm. to run this place and um, we as people of color need to invest in that and think of this place first to do our work. That is awesome. So <clears throat> quick question. We spoke about um, the, the effects of racism, the space being the, to, to combat the effects of racism. What are the effects of Segregation. Here. And, in segregation, yeah. Um, yeah. It is, the effects of segregation and racism are di disinvestment in our community and lack of understanding the importance of investment in our community. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, we talk about gentrification and, and you know, development in our communities. And what will happen often is it won't be an, an explicit um, disinvestment in our community. It'll be a lack of investment. It'll be gentrification by neglect, mm. by ignoring the needs and let it deteriorate, let it fall in, let it, let it, um, let, let them, let it collapse and we'll come right in. Let them get behind in property taxes. You know, we don't we don't pay property taxes because we're a nonprofit. But you know, let them destroy themselves. I guess you could say, and then we see an opportunity and move right in. That's the effects of segregation and racism. Um, is a lack of of understanding 
the importance of how we are connected as people and the erasure or the, uh, the um, ignoring of one person's history or one person's experience is actually serving to, um, to collapse the entirety of the community. Wow, that is very interesting and thought-provoking. Uh, so what are some, uh, for the individual out there who wants to help um, combat um, these same issues by themselves, what are some like practical things they can do day to day, month to month, something like that, to um, kind of help, just help with the solution? I mean, because I would think, um, you know, wanting to connect with um, other African Americans to, to talk more and increase conversation about um, the unique experiences here um, in Tucson. I'm from New Jersey, so my experience actually is different from uh, the experience here, and. Um, I, and I'm I'm enjoying learning about everyone's experience who has who's been here, who have um, uh, were born and raised here, um, or ha or who have been here for a long enough time to where it shaped how they are. And you see um, all different races, ages, um, income levels, um, education levels, and you really see um, you know trends and and different concepts um, that for me really make me think about my own perception of the world and how it is really limited based on the information I receive, the people that I'm around. So right. If, um, uh, Prior to, to moving here, so I lived in Chicago for over 20 years, 25 years before I moved here. And before that, I'd, you know, I had other experiences, was in the Peace Corps and, and you know, lived other places, but I had never had a very deep or nuanced experience west of the Mississippi that way, right? Like the Southwest or the the Western frontier, I guess you could say, was like many people shaped by popular media, shaped by, and, and I had a very limited concept of what it meant to be black in the Southwest, if there were even black people here, right? until I moved here and I learned about the history here. And like you, it completely changed that narrative of African-Americans existence in, in America and then in, you know, in North America, beginning with the transatlantic slave trade. That understanding alone was transformative to me and transformative of how I do, how I, began working in this community, right? And sometimes I think that black people that come from places where there are a large concentration of African, Chicago, DC, New York, New Jersey, you know, the East Coast, the Midwest, Cleveland, you know, those, those cities where there are lots of black people. We come here um, almost with a level of arrogance that, um, you know, we know we we are a little more metropolitan, and we you know we've been around black people, and we, and and it, oftentimes I'm finding in many of my interactions is it creates this us and them even amongst us, you know. And what I've learned to appreciate, and what I've learned to um, really understand, is the complexity of being black in this region and the complexity of 
what um what freedom i guess you can say looks like for lack of a better term and unless we create opportunities for us to have those conversations us to interact with one another that way with mutual respect mutual understanding and a coming together to of of the we're all in this together it doesn't matter where in the united states region of the United States you are, if you are black in America, you're black in America working in a racist, a profoundly, deeply, systemically racist system that transcends borders that way, you know? And so that's the conversation we need to be having, really, um, and respecting one, where one another is coming from. Um, in that way. And the same things that we're asking um, of wider community, the larger society, the la we need to be asking of one another as black people. Wow, powerful. So thinking about the, the experiences that um, African-Americans have, what are some of the benefits or results that come from sharing these experiences um, with everyone, just with the world in general? Um, and what do you think the, what does the future look like when um, the, I guess the, the playing field is even, you know, when, when it's like an actual, um, but, okay, what I see as um, ideal society or the, the, the way we all as human beings interact is um, we're all human beings and my judgment of you is based on you as an individual human being, mm -hmm. not by the category that I would place you in based on um uh anything and ideally ideally yes mm -hmm. um and now it's understanding that within myself all those prejudices exist and so understanding that other people have it and also they have it and they're not aware that they have it they actually think um that their um subjective view of reality is objective and so it's like everyone around them should be thinking and feeling a certain way and so, and to get more specific, um, thinking about um, the experiences of women versus men, um, the things that some guys would say about the possibility of um, uh, women being um, abused in the workplace or things like that, um, or being constantly, you know, um, looked over for positions, etc. Um, because as males, we're not seeing it. Um, so it's understanding that, but then when you don't understand that, you're not seeing it. It's like, right. what are you talking about? I see women all the time, and there are all these programs for women. And uh, so it's just understanding the way we view the world sometimes is equivalent to how the world views us. So the goal is, can the world view us, and we are all the world, can, you know, as um, individual human beings worthy of the same amount of time, energy, effort, mm -hmm. um, investment, financial investment, time investment, um, presence and investment of um, attention. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know where my, where my uh, train of thought was going with that, but that, that's, that's, that's how I pretty, <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, it's that, on the one hand, Jamea, I want to say that is so idealistic. Like, oh, that, yes, yes. And then we all skip off into the sunset. <laughs> and, you know, that's a really beautiful, beautiful thing. But it's an imperative thing because if we don't get there, I mean, look at all the other things that are 
bombarding us that are absolutely out of our control. Um, weather patterns, well, well, it is within our control, you know, but we don't dictate when it rains. Mm -hmm. We don't dictate when um, the environment gets so pissed off. When that time, that, that point in time when the environment says, basta, like I've had it, I'm, done, I'm just wiping y'all off, right? We can't dictate that, but what we can dictate is how we love one another and how we interact with one another and how we learn to love the earth and learn to respect this ground that we walk on because that sends off a chain reaction. Right? And that chain reaction turns into what you were talking about. And so the most profound thing I think that we can do when you asked about very, what's the specific thing that we can do day to day today, we can learn to love one another. We can learn to respect one another more. We can learn to cut through our egos, our hidden agendas, all those things that prevent progress, our hurts, um, are perceived, are real um, um, kind of vendettas, I guess you can say, against one another. We can learn to forgive every day because that's what it is. Every day you have to do it. That's what we can do. And I think that's, that, again, it's the chain reaction that really helps cha things change. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So what's your ideal, we talked about the ideal version of the world. Mm -hmm. What's um, your ideal um, <clears throat> picture of the, the Dunbar Pavilion? What? Oh my gosh, this building will be completely re-landscaped using the most, you know, um, up-to-date um, technologies of water reclamation and um, native plants planted and complete respect of of in in our in our landscaping and and how we um, are stewards of our property a complete respect of our environment in that regard uh, it looks like that uh, it looks like you walk in and there is a complete reflection of who and what walked through these 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 hallways and these doorways and and embedded their souls into the walls of this building you will see um you will see a respect of the history but also a respect of our future of where we're going you will see lighting and um and uh things that that understand that within this fifty-five thousand square feet of property that we can be energy efficient that we can be, um, that we can provide a, a, a welcoming, warm environment that is not industrial, that is not, you know, that, that we can activate our resources to the highest and best good of the community while respecting and honoring who we are as black people. Wow, that is awesome. <clears throat> if, how would you, and this is a more specific question, um, how would you ideally monetize what that vision 
What would be the, the best way? Um, it's about $5 million to get this building, not just energy efficient. Again, one side was built in 1918, one, the, this side was built in 1948. There, were, there was no LEED certification. <laughs> there's crumbling pipes there's tiles on on the roof that Mm. you know there's some real infrastructure things that need to be done and that monetizes to 50 at a minimum five million dollars um to repair the stripping of floors the repainting the the fixing of cracks the rewiring um upgrading um um air conditioning and heating units that have not been looked at in in over 15 years. You know, the technologies have changed in 15 years for energy bit. efficiencies. We have over 10 units in this building, in this side of the building alone, um, overall in the building. Um, and so that, to monetize it, it's a minimum of $5 million. Okay. Um, how can the community... Um, Rather, who in the community um, are you looking to see, to, to connect with, to have coffee with? To We've actually, you know, um, the City of Tucson Community Development Block Grant is, is starting to be really helpful. They, they were helpful in the beginning. Um, and some of the renovations that have happened, Pima County as well. Um, but it's time to... to to look into that again. They've invested in over a million dollars over the years in in getting some infrastructure things done. So our city and county um, resources, absolutely, we're looking at activating those um, and have had really um, wonderful relationships in developing that. Um, In the private sector, who come my way, you tell me, (laughs) who are you talking to? Who are you having coffee with? Right <laughs> you know, there are a myriad of foundations that we're working with. Um, the Lewis Foundation has been really wonderful in investing in us. The Amy, um, the Zuckerman, uh, Amy Zuckerman Solomon Fund has invested in us. Um, we've gotten resources from the Southwest Foundation. Um, I don't want to keep naming one because I don't want to forget <laughs> anybody. The U of A College of Social and Behavioral Sciences has helped quite a bit. So we've, we've, we've engaged in, in and continue because that's the work mm. is constant fundraising. Got it. All right. That is interesting. So for anyone out there who wants to possibly start a um, community center, they want to build a community, they want to... Um, facilitate conversation, they want to facilitate connections. What's some advice you would give them on getting started on that journey, um, like with a building and without a building? It's mm. a lot of work. Um, if they wanted a great to start a, lot of work. a community center, yeah. it's And to know that it is a long, you have to have a long range plan a very long range plan. It's not going to happen instantly. Um, What's a good number of uh, years in the future? We're still looking at, I don't know, because it's been 30 some years that when Cress started the vision of this, right? So this was in the early 90s mid 90s that he started 
doing this work, so 20-some year in, you know, mm. even now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're still not there. So I can't, I can't tell you, like, I, it, I can tell you that it's a long haul. Mm. And um, if you think you're going to, if you say January, you know, January 1st, 2034, that's the deadline. Good luck with that. You know, mm-hmm. I hope that works. I hope you're, you meet your <laughs> timelines because right. things change on a constant, consistent basis. Economies change, mm-hmm. population, demographics shift, foundation interest, uh, um, um, philanthropic focus shifts. There are so many factors that go into creating and developing and sustaining a space that there's it's impossible to predict i can't i can't begin to tell you that what what how many years someone could be doing this they could be doing it for a very long time and that's what they need to know what are some um uh, tips you have for uh perseverance and sticking to stay staying on the journey um remembering why you're doing it and and always being clear about your intent because when you start to question your intent or you don't see it any longer it's easy to make decisions that aren't in the best interest of the larger good and it's easy to get discouraged um, when you don't when your internal compass isn't starts to shift or isn't clear and that for me if you're asking me personally how I do that a lot of prayer and meditation and a lot of engaging with people who challenge me and um, question me uh, not to shy away from those things because those things are the things that make me question myself. So anytime I'm critiqued or someone has um, a suggestion for me or if I, if I don't pay attention to that and if I'm not honoring that, then I question why I'm doing this. Wow. What type of strength does it take to consistently question yourself and your mm. own decisions and where you are? A lot. And you gotta, yeah, you gotta be open to the answer. I think that that's a extremely that's not that's an extremely valuable skill. I think it's a t- teachable skill, and one that if um, individuals, just the younger you are, the, the sooner you start anything, the the more developed you'd be at it. And just if we're, I, I really enjoy working with high schools. I'm working with Edge High School. Um, I've worked with uh, City High School, and getting the students 14 to uh, 18 year olds to think about how they think what they think um, why they think what they think what the people around them are thinking compared to what they're saying compared to what life they have etc and really start your brain moving early on now they can go out in the world and everything can be an actual teachable experience where um we're not sort of projecting this is what this is, but we're rather learning about right. what it is, what it could be. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that that's 
the answer I was trying to give about what what's the end what you know what would you tell somebody about how long it takes to do this in because it's an iterative process it's a constant checking about are, are we really offering what the community wants are we really offering what the community needs this is what we said five years ago but so many things have changed is there are, and and if we stay on this path towards what end because we said that this is what we were going to do 20 years ago you know you have to be open to the iterative process you have to be open to constant reevaluation reevaluation of what people are coming in and saying that they need instead of something that you that a group of people at one particular point in time said the need is and that has completely changed and where you find that um, systems fail and people fail and organizations fail and programs fail is when you stay stuck to something that doesn't work anymore isn't relevant anymore and you refuse not to let it go but be open to change that's so i can't you know, be married to something that was a decision without all the information of what it is now. So, but you can honor that. You can take the core, the essence of why that decision was made back then. And the decision was made because there's a need to celebrate, elevate, and, and push forward the accomplishments of black people in this region we can stay true to that but change the way we actuate that mm -hmm. and that's what i'm talking about absolutely so it's being flexible being like water like bruce lee said and take the shape of what's happening in the present and for me i feel like access access to information and then acts and then okay access to information plus the mindset i think it's like a growth mindset of wanting to learn more and you know wanting to actually expand your mind and coming to a conclusion and still going out and seeking other perspectives um that and also looking at perspectives that you know disagree with your own um expanding your mind so being able to do that is equipped it's is um is also needed when there is access to information. So now we have all this information. Now it's how do we get it? You know, what websites, <laughs> what people, it's hilarious. Um, what um, uh, organizations to go to. Um, what technologies are available, but also yes. what, what, um, what already exists that, that's right in front of our faces that we haven't seen because, you know, because for one reason or another, we have deemed it irrelevant, but it might be time to revisit it. You know, I, I have mm -hmm. this conversation a lot of times about digital and analog people, right? I consider myself an analog person. And analog isn't sexy, right? I'm using air quotes. Analog is writing the grant, you know, even though the platform, like the Common App grant, um, is a beautiful technology that has observed. But the way of collecting the information that you need to, to supply that grant is a very analog process. Sitting down face-to-face -face with your funder and being honest with them about the trajectory of the project that they funded um, is a very analog thing to do. There are very analog behaviors mm. that I think um, need to be married with 
these technologies, this, this digital behavior of, you know, uh, communicating online all the time or, you know, being so connected to your social media platform. And, and I'm not poo-pooing any of that. I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that there is, um, that we have to make sure as we develop as digital people, we keep those analog abilities embedded in us because what happens when the lights go out? What happens when the internet fails? What happens when your app doesn't, we saw what happened in Iowa, right? When the, when the, when the technology failed, what did they go back to do? Count the paper. Who knows how to count paper anymore? You know what I mean? You're, you become a very valuable individual when you, when you know how to drive a stick shift. Right, right. And, and I'm going to kind of, um, kind of hijack that concept because um, for me, in, in the business world, I love business, I love entrepreneurship, and I believe that networking solves 100% of entrepreneurs' problems. you got to connect with people. And the one thing, in whether it's economic downtimes or uptimes, things are going well or not well, your network always stays the same. So if the lights were to go out, well, knowing 10,000 people would be valuable if you can um, call and get some candles. Um, the idea of um, networking strictly for the purpose of um, just growing yourself, growing your perspectives. For me, every new person that I talk to is just a new reality that I get to experience and it enhances me and the, the reality that I'm um, experiencing. And uh, that's, something that, that's something really valuable. I want to also push, that's what I'm looking to push um, to the world because it's something that, it's a skill that... <laughs> If you know how to communicate, I think that's an analog skill, being able mm -hmm. to connect with someone and um, uh, join them into your network, update. I mean, I have so many people in the community who I get to update every time I see them at various events. You know, I'm very right. thankful for all the events that exist and all the places that exist that um, allow them because that's like a way for all of us to just come together and really um, celebrate our wins and losses and talk about events, you know. Um, I think... Uh, Entrepreneurs in general are a minority in themselves where the whole world is designed for people to take one particular path and to do anything other than that is actually quite difficult. So it's really awesome for spaces that have um, just entrepreneurs coming together where we have our own shared experiences and shared struggles, um, et cetera, heads of organizations, um, having to manage people, having to manage lots of things at the same time. Yes. The average person doesn't know what it's like to, you know, have to juggle and juggle and juggle and juggle and juggle and juggle. And juggle. Um, so right. that's why the perseverance is really... Um, perseverance, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for every episode, I like to um, ask three questions. And you kind of touched on um, the first one a little bit, but what is... Um, the power that you draw from that keeps you going every day? My mom and dad, the way I was raised. Wow. So what are some um, jewels you can share with us? And for parents, too, to, to, for parents to raise um, someone who can say, my mom and dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. See, that's what my kids are no. <laughs> <laughs> um, my parents made it clear that um, 
we have a responsibility to our to fellow human beings that we aren't here just in service to ourselves and that anything that benefits another human being benefits you like that, that there is this synergy in connecting with other human beings in a positive way and so and they valued education and not just book education travel and experiencing other people um, and they instilled that in us that um, being connected to a larger world and a larger spiritual world. We were raised in the church as Christians, AME Church, but also to know that that spirituality isn't just in the AME Church, it's in many different ways of being in the world. So that, I just feel really, really, the older I get, I feel even more and more fortunate to be raised by the people I was raised by. My father was um, from Greenville, Mississippi, uh, dropped out of high school, and you know, has this trajectory of success, but stayed so humble and always giving back. He, he before he died, well, he died a few years ago, um, but he went to every single one of my cousins, my if someone was having a graduation in our family, I don't care where it was, he was there. That's awesome. He would go. Wow, that's awesome. He was very busy in June. <laughs> <laughs> he traveled a lot right, in June. Right. You know, he went to graduations. He made us vote when it was time to vote. Don't talk to him. He didn't care who you voted for. You had to vote. So I just feel very, very fortunate to be raised by them. So that's that's. Wow, that is that is very, very cool. So that is the power you draw from. Mm -hmm. What is your passion, or what are a few passions that drive you day to day? Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I love um, working with my hands, so I knit and I spin fiber into useful things. So having a tactile experience is really important to me. And that's and I, I draw a lot of satisfaction and 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 motivation out of that and creating useful things. You know, mm -hmm. not things just to have things, but right. creating useful things. And it and cool. I really enjoy um, conversation about solving problems. I listen to a lot of pod we talk about digital and analog. One of the things I, I love to do is listen to a lot of podcasts. And one of my favorite podcasts is How I Built This. Because I love to I love to hear other people's processes. Mm. And that really inspires me in ways. And I feel myself drawing on other people's problem solving or other ways in arenas that have nothing to do with work or you know like mm -hmm. i find myself and mm -hmm. and 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 that really excites me i i i really enjoy that kind of intellectual pursuit right on all right and last question um what 
ultimately, <clears throat> what type of impact would you like to have on the world, on people? Um, who would you like to impact the most in general? Or are there lots of things you'd like to, uh, lots of areas you'd like to have an impact in? That's a hard question. That's a really difficult question. Because um, something that I love about being here at the Dunbar every day is, and it happens every day, every day I get an affirmation of why this space is important. And whether it's um, someone that calls and um, says, oh, you know, I want to come by and visit. My mom went here, my grandmother went here, and, or I have great memories of it here. Or someone that is new to the city and has no, that just wants to rent the space for a party or something that's going to bring them together with their family or friends or something. That, that's a long-winded way of saying, I get an affirmation of the importance of community building every single day and that means a lot to me wow that is awesome and a fantastic way to end the podcast thank you so much for uh joining me and thank you all for joining me as well see you thank on you. the next episode thanks